Hi, this is Open Source Futures and I'm Eddie Chu, where I discuss current news through the lens of long-term trends and futures thinking. I've been on a series where I've been introducing the STEP buckets in futures, and I talked about that in episode 3. So uh, this will be the, the third one, so where I'll be talking about economic trends. I would have covered demographics and politics in previous episodes, so you can look at those as well. So this is the economics uh, trend that the economics bucket that I'm talking about. So for a start, I actually find economics to be a difficult thing to pull together as a bucket because there are a couple of seemingly disparate things that are difficult to tie together. But I must admit, this is a matter of preference and different people are going to put different things into the economics bucket when it comes to futures thinking. So if you have your own bucket or if you think whatever I said doesn't make sense, um, just feel free to take whatever guidance you like and proceed uh, by yourself. So, for instance, one might think that the pace of economic, economic growth might be something to put in the economics basket. Um, that might seem sensible, but then uh, I realized that economic growth is more of something like an emergent property, something that is the result of other forces leading to this outcome. So this outcome could be things like the political system, the social system, the, the education, the health uh, status of the population, and of course, uh, regulatory uh, stuff, uh, wh whatever the political system might be. So I find economic growth by itself to be a more difficult thing. Um, I might instead focus on political attitudes towards economic growth. Um, so I'll be thinking in terms of how much regulation does the state support uh, for its society. But never mind, uh, if, you feel, if you feel in your own futures projects that economic development might be a valid trend for yourself, uh, feel free to go for it and uh, try to defend it if you can. So rather than looking at economic growth, I would take a step back and look at other things as well. So for instance, I mentioned that the political support for regulation might be something to look at. So in that context, I might instead look at the kinds of economic ideas that a state might be uh, leaning on, so or the society might be le leaning on. So for instance, um, does the society and the state support a version of market fundamentalism, for instance, the so-called free market in quotes, <clears throat> as the organizing principle in society? So does that mean that the state should get out of the way all of the time and let companies and individuals figure their way out? So if you are a firm believer of this market fundamentalism thought, thought, then you would also want the welfare state to be reduced because that would be the state getting in the way of the market. Uh, so we should just leave individuals and companies at the mercy of each other and see what happens. But I think over the years there's been a lot of pushback about this market funda fundamentalism. Um, so there was a period of time in the 90s and the 2000s, I think, when governments were privatizing large sections of the economy, especially in advanced places, such as the utilities and telecoms, and some might even go deeper and uh, support privatizing education. So the implicit idea is that there seems to be something, uh, a trade-off between fairness and delivery and economic efficiency. So if state-owned companies are allowed to operate, then they might become inefficient and bloated. But, if, uh, but I think these conceptions have more to do with ideal types rather than what actually happens. So 
what can happen is that the state itself can also act as an effective regulator and forcing service providers to be more disciplined in their service delivery. So, of course, this is different across different societies and some states have higher bureaucratic capacity to bring about uh, regulation. So, it's not always the case that um, the states will do this effectively, nor is it that the case that the market will run things efficiently. So, I think the Texas storm might be one example of that where uh, a, a light regulatory approach led to, uh, led to the, the, the electricity company becoming uh, too focused on efficiency and did not winterize their grids, for instance. So even then, a bit of regulation might have been helpful for the efficient operation of the company, but uh, unfortunately, that didn't seem to have happened. So another thing to look at is uh, when, about the social acceptance of inequality, whether society is okay with inequality increasing and uh, and how much that's uh, accepted. So different societies are willing to accept different levels of inequality even across the world. And for this, I must uh, recommend Thomas Piketty, his uh, second book, uh, Inequality and Ideology, something like that. So the US is willing to tolerate a lot more inequality and, and European countries are... are um, Willing, are only willing to accept less. So I think this also depends on the history and politics of the place. So Thomas Piketty's book, you look at uh, this book where um, actually in the 50s all the way, I think through the 70s, there was a lot of emphasis on, uh, I think at the US there was actually quite low inequality and there was also very high taxation rates as well. Um, so, and uh, and. Uh, and I um, also want to go back to the first book where he, um, where he talks about the relationship between economic growth and uh, rate of return on wealth accumulation. So it seems that if you really don't check a wealth accumulation through different kinds of taxation, you will get inequality because in the long run, something like, uh, so the argument goes something like that, that the rates of return on wealth are going to be usually higher than your rate of economic growth. So... It's like two exponential curves. Um, the the exponential curve for, uh, the the rate of growth, rate of return on wealth is usually going to be higher, and that will inevitably result in inequality. <clears throat> so, other than all these conceptions about the willingness to accept inequality and the role of the market versus the state, there are other regulatory ideas that have powerful consequences as well. So then. Uh, we have the idea of antitrust, the idea that companies uh, should not become too big unless uh, they tilt the market in their favor, and that can slow down the growth of small companies. So the remedy for this is to break up the large companies and uh, let them compete against each other or to have stronger antitrust rules. So I think we're seeing a bit of it now today as we see Google and Facebook and Apple uh, Amazon, all getting investigated for antitrust practices. So uh, the next few years will be quite interesting in terms of technology regulation. <clears throat> in a way, the European Union is ahead of this, but since those companies are not European companies, they don't have jurisdiction. Uh, so yeah, so watch out for that. I think that's going to be a trend in the next few years as companies try to think about what kinds of legal arguments they can make for their current tremendous size. So you have Apple and I think Microsoft now going over a trillion dollars and Apple is a two trillion dollar company. So that's um, that's simply a remarkable uh, situation that we have. Um, 
But as to whether they are market distortionary, I think the courts will battle it out and will be seeing that development unfold over time. So other than all these big ideas, there are also some more grounded ideas, I would say, grounded in the sense of things that are appealing to our everyday circumstances. So you have uh, things such as our conception of consumption and individualism. So you might not see them as economic trends per se, but they do influence uh, the kinds of economic growth and activities that happen. So uh, consumption is obviously a big thing because uh, it generates economic activity for other people, generates resource use as implications for the environment. Um, but it's also uh, how that interacts with individualism, right? The sense that we are individuals and that we are free to express ourselves. So these two kind of go together in this way. And... Uh, modern capitalism and markets encourage all of us to consume as a way to express ourselves. So there's a very sociological concept um, called conspicuous consumption. So we are basically consuming things um, as a way to signal our place in society and our status hierarchy. So you might not think about it, but you know the way you compare holidays with each other or compare the food places that you go to or even perhaps uh, what kinds of... Uh, movies that you watch, your Netflix or Disney. So all these are ways to signal your consumption and um, that also uh, can filter into economic activity as well. Um, and then we have international, looking at a more global perspective, international perspective, there's things like uh, trade and development. So you might, we might consider these arguments to be quite old, uh, for instance, uh, the recipe for how countries should develop economically. So, the in, so I'm referring to things such as the import substitution model versus the export oriented model and all of the developmental economics stuff. So, um, so nowadays the the consensus seems to be that for a country to develop, you need uh, you need some you need large scale industrial development and you need your people to have minimal education and uh, health outcomes. So. Um, with digital technologies coming in and kind of disrupting the large industrial labor-intensive kinds of uh, industrialization route, uh, is that recipe still valid? So we don't know. Um, uh, so that's one thing. Another broader thing is about this, also again, the broader state versus market kind of uh, paradigm as well. So we have the US and Europe gener generally considered as uh, free free markets, free, freer in the sense of freedom, uh, markets having a large role in how resources are allocated, and then with the state acting as a regulator, sometimes not very well, but a regulator nonetheless. And then you have, uh, on the other side, uh, China's model of, of the party state economy, where the party is uh, very forcefully guiding the direction of markets. Uh, so I remember somewhere reading about how there are regulations for large companies to have um, party cells to coordinate things. So that's a very interesting development in terms of this whole economic uh, and political uh, ideology as well. So another thing uh, that you could look at when it comes to the economic trends would be demographics. So I would have touched on demographics already, um, but then there's, you can talk about market size and consumption power. So, for instance, um, even though India is a very big country, but it's probably a small fraction of that that has the consumptions, uh, consumption ability. So, um, just just be careful. So, it's not just 
for instance, the size of the market, but it's also about the cons consumption ability. Um, yeah, so um, other things to look at would be in terms of entrepreneurship and the culture, whether this is encouraged or not, whether risk-taking is encouraged. So for instance, um, US is, perhaps US and Israel are exceptions in this, in that um, at least in the US there is the kind of permission that you have the permission to reinvent yourself and go to a different place and start all over again. Um, that that's not that doesn't happen in most places, and I think the US is still widely admired for that. So there's something to be said for entrepreneurship culture and risk taking. Um, but then there's also the thing about um, whether the whether a kind of basic welfare state you know might allow for this kind of entrepreneurship or creativity endeavor. So I'm always reminded of J.K. Rowling's story about how she was on welfare uh, as she was writing Harry Potter series. So I think that's more of a kind of a statement that says we should have some kind of basic welfare system that supports people. Um, but that's just my opinion, and you can have very different arguments about that as well. Um, yeah. So at this point, you might be thinking, I've only mentioned, for example, digital technologies in the, in the sense of how it plays into economic development ideas. Um, that's a very valid question because, um, practically speaking, I have a technology bucket for that kind of question. Um, but for questions about how technology fits into the economy, um, that's a, that's a, that I think is up to you to define whether you're going to put it in the technology bucket or the economic bucket. So I will put the innovation bucket, you know, how technology interfaces with the economy into the uh, into the technology bucket itself. Whereas in the in the in the market in the economy, I'm more thinking in terms of my resource allocation and how that's uh, and how that happens. Okay, so um, looking just changing lens slightly, we also talk about uh, in the economic bucket. We talk about industry structure. So industry structure meaning. Uh, how does, uh, what's the corporate size distribution? Are there a few large companies or are there, uh, are there verticals? Uh, are there uh, companies with integrated supply chains or are there uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of small players that supplies the big players? So uh, we want to look at supply chains for particular products and industries. So for example, uh, rare earth metals are important because of their role in the modern electronics industry. And their supply will affect um, applications in so many different areas, and they will ripple through uh, all of, all around all of our economies. So we also ask about uh, network structure of the industry. Uh, what are the what are the kinds of influence that different players have? Well, so for instance, I touched on Taiwan being a major player because of its chip industry, that because of its one company TSMC. But then you can also apply that to, for instance, uh, Japanese car makers, your Toyotas and your Honda, and their important role they play as anchor players for the rest of the rest of the industry. Uh, or in Germany, you have your Volkswagen and Daimler. So similarly, uh, having a big player, uh, a big brand, can be important for in terms of economic growth for how they can um, provide support for the rest of the economy. So talking about how all this applies to COVID, because as we've seen that uh, how COVID interrupts supply chains uh, in terms of the resources, but also the companies and how resilient they are to, for example, adapt. Uh, so I remember coming across a bunch of stories um, 
uh, about Japanese or Taiwanese earthquakes and how suppliers have to adapt and suddenly quick change, make changes to their supply line so they can uh, contribute another piece of the supply chain. So I think resilience is going to be a big factor in terms of how we look at supply chains. So uh, companies want to be more resilient against specific shocks, uh, but co countries also want to be resilient against uh, these specific shocks. So the way all these things play out, I know there's still a huge drive, a huge focus on efficiency, but I think that will increasingly be uh, be played up, played against uh, the goal to have more resiliency in the system. Okay, so uh, I've talked about a few things about how I would look at the economic bucket. Obviously, you can uh, have different views on what constitutes that, uh, and. Uh, and I think the one we have one more bucket left to go, which is technology. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so look forward to that. Uh, and probably that will give you a sense of how I think about the technology stuff as well. All right, so as usual, if you enjoyed listening to this, uh, contribute to the Patreon at patreon.com slash futures. That's open source futures, one word. And, uh, or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee slash opsourcefutures. That's opsourcefutures. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>